Seth said that he knows automatically to turn to Matthew 5, but we're going to go to Matthew 28 this morning just to, just to mess him up. Matthew 28 and verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth, all authority. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, that is, make disciples, see people saved. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Ghost, identifying yourself with the Savior in his death, burial, and resurrection. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We've been concentrating on verse 20, the first part of that, where he commissions us to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And although there's many, many commands in the Old and the New Testament, we are just noting the commands that the Lord gave during his own personal ministry. And we are uh, still in chapter 5, and so if you'll go there, I think this is about the 10th command. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38, Matthew 5, 38. You have heard that it has been said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I said to you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. There's just a one command in this section, uh, but it really summarizes the whole section. And so we'll look at the command, but we're going to have to go back and work through uh, the section. But the command is found in verse 41 where he says, and who shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. And so he's commanding us to go with him, uh, go the second mile. Uh, we're going to note just a couple of specific words in that, uh, but we're going to go back, as I said, and look at all the verses between 38 and 42. And uh, much of this has been maligned. It's been misunderstood. A lot of confusion has come to society out of Matthew 5, uh, 38 through 42. Uh, the, the, difficult, the difficulty with this passage is this. It absolutely demands that I die to myself. And that's not easy. And so 
Be prepared. Verse 41, the command is to go the second mile. And I'd point out to you that word compel. The Roman law gave the Roman soldier the right to conscript or to uh, compel to pr press into service. Uh, we, we use that word, they've been pressed into service. Sometimes the English Navy would go along the streets and grab someone and press them into the Navy. And that, this is about that. Remember when, when uh, Christ was bearing his cross, they stopped and they compelled Simon from Cyrene. They compelled him to bear the cross. That's the same word, compel. And so the Roman soldiers had the right to compel someone. It didn't even have to be uh, the people that were in the, in the occupied country. You could compel a Roman to bear it. And so they could compel him to bear their uh, burden, their weaponry or whatever they were packing for a mile. And in fact, uh, the Jews so resented this that they would uh, measure off from where they spent most of their time working or in the day, and they would measure off one mile down the road that way, one mile down the road this way, uh, drive a stick in the ground or pile some rocks up, and they weren't going to bear it any further than the one mile. And of course, they particularly rejected it because this was, a, this was the people that were occupying their country. This was the enemy, you know, and they're compelling them to go that extra mile. And the Lord said, don't go just one, go two. Now, let's look at how it relates to these other scriptures. It says here, you've heard it's been said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I send to you that ye resist not evil. Whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if a man will sue thee at law, take away thy coat, give him thy cloak. And whosoever compel thee, go a mile, go with him twain, and then give to those that ask you. People have used this passage where it says resist not evil to teach uh, lawlessness. That people can just do what they want and we shouldn't resist them. Uh, people have used this passage to teach uh, pacif pacifism, uh, turn the other cheek. People have used this passage to be conscientious objectors to war. They've used this passage to say that capital punishment is wrong. And they've used this passage to come about and say that the legal system is, uh, shouldn't be. We don't, we don't need a legal system. Now we know that Black Lives Matter and Antifa and some of these have tried to do away with the legal system, uh, but that's not really based upon the scriptures because they reject it. But they'll say that, you know, here it says don't, don't resist evil. And so the Lord is teaching that we ought to uh, do away with it. In fact, there was a famous Russian novelist, Tolstoy, 
who used the Sermon on the Mount, and in fact, this very passage, and he taught that there should be no police, there should be no armies, there should be no soldiers, there should be no authorities in society, and if we do away with the army, the soldiers, and the authority in society, we can have a utopia. Well, he didn't look too far in the mirror, did he? Because man, by nature, is sinful. A man by nature needs to be governed. And so, what is the Lord trying to, to say here? We find that this idea of eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is found a, a number of a three different places in the Old Testament. And I want to read there because we're going to be coming back to this. The first place it's found is in Exodus chapter 21. And verse 24, Exodus 21, 24. Last week, you guys got about 15 minutes of extra time because I quit early. Well, you're going to have to flip your pages today, and I'll probably take another five minutes. So let's, let's, let's uh, ramp up to uh, the speed here. Exodus 21 and 24 says, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Leviticus chapter, uh, I'm sorry, it was Exodus 21, 24, and then Leviticus 24 and 30. Leviticus 24 and 30. Okay. I'm sorry, 24 and 20. And if he shall say, what shall we eat? That's not it either. Wait a minute. 24 and 20. Oh, I'm in, yeah, I'm in chapter 25. I'm sorry, we can't speed it up if I can't get on the right page. Leviticus. Leviticus 24.20, here we go. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as he hath caused a blemish in a man, so shall it be done to him again. And then uh, Deuteronomy says this, and thy, and thy eye shall not pity, but life shall be for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and hand for hand. And so what uh, people are saying here is ideas promoted that Jesus... Uh, was given them the idea that a person needs to receive exactly uh, what he has done to other people. It, it gives a license for vengeance. I'm going to get even. Uh, it becomes a sort of a permission to, to uh, have a grudge, to strike by, back. If someone hits you, uh, you hit them back. But Jesus said, if someone hits you uh, on the right cheek, give him the left cheek. And if he sues you for your coat, give him your inner garment, your cloak. If you go a mile, go two. And so the question is, here, here uh, in these three Old Testament passages, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it clearly says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. So is the Lord doing away with these Old Testament passages. Is the Lord changing the Word of God? And uh, 
And what's really going on here? Uh, if we believe that this Bible is inspired, and I do, then there shouldn't be a conflict between Old Testament and New Testament. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, people would say, well, no, when Jesus came, he introduced a whole new set of laws, which negated the old, old set of laws. But all throughout the Bible, the Lord exalts law. God created society and introduced law and a capital punishment way early in Genesis. In the minor prophets, you're going to hear about the law over and over. When you get to uh, Romans chapter 13, God tells us we ought to obey the law. That he's, he's made them a minister to the, the, the policemen, the judges. He's made a minister to us. If you go over to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, he says, Knowing this, that the law... It's not made for the righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, for sinners, for, un for unholy, profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, and for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stillers, for liars, for perjured person. And if there be any other that is contrary to sound doctrine. And so he's saying, you know, if you are righteous and you live according to the law, it's not going to apply to you. But it was made, it has to, we have to have a law that restricts evil. But Jesus said, resist not evil in this passage. And so we're going to have to start out in here and understand what's going on. If he says, you know, law should, law should be to stop evil. And then he says, resist not evil. There seems to be a conflict here. Now, what we need to understand is some basic things about um, the commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, of course, we have the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness. And it's a, it's a systematic laying out of Ten Commandments. And it, it has to do with uh, moral law. Not ceremonial law, but moral law. And that murder is wrong. The lying is wrong. Thou shalt not lust. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. But when we get to chapter 21 and 20, uh, after, after uh, chapter 20, we get into civil law. And he begins to say uh, things about judges and courts. And when, we, when you study out these three passages, let's go back again to, um, I'll try to get all these straight this time, to Exodus chapter 21. And we saw there in verse 24, eye for eye. But I also want you to see in Exodus 21, then you go uh, uh, to Exodus 21 and 22. If a man strive and hurt a woman with child so that her fruit depart from her, 
and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished according as a woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. We found the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth passage in this same chapter, but what I want you to see here is that in that verse, that in the context of that ch chapter, we have this word used as the judges determine. And then if you go to our passage in, um, in um, Leviticus, I'm taking a long time for probably eating up all my time. Leviticus chapter 24 and verse 20. Breach for breach, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, as if it caused a blemish in a man. But then if you go down and you look at verse 22, you shall have one manner of law as well for the strangers as for your own country. I am the Lord your God. And so it mentions a, man, it mentions a law and it's a... It is, it is something that applies to both strangers, it applies to all. There's a law in this land that it, that it goes to all people. And then a similar thing, again, is found in our last Deuteronomy, where it said, uh, well, let's go over there. I didn't, I just quoted that for you. But go over to Deuteronomy chapter... 19, Deuteronomy chapter 19, and verse 21, And the eye shall not pity thee, but life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. But I want you to back up to verse 17. Then both the men, and both the men between whom the controversy it shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And then, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother. And so, in all these cases, <clears throat> That, that we found eye for eye and blow for blow, we find also in the same chapters, judges. And so here's what the Lord is saying. That the legal system ought to be fair. If someone's eye has been taken out then the judges determine you lose your eye. That's the problem with America today. The judges, the, the system. If a man murders a man, his life should be taken. But, but when he says resist not evil, what he's saying is this. You have no right to take it into your own hands. Don't make it personal. It belongs to the government to do that. That you don't have, you, you, you know, punch for punch, you know, I mean, uh, redneck Eastern Oregon guy, you know, 
If they hit me, I hit them harder. But he says, resist not evil. Don't, you don't personally resist evil. And so he's not doing away with the legal system at all. And he's not giving a new standard. But he's telling us that we cannot make this a personal problem between us and them. We've got to leave it to the law. Now, this is where we have a problem today. A big problem. We're a nation of inalienable rights. I've got my rights. I probably date myself with some of these illustrations, but our heroes are men like John Wayne. You hurt me, you're gonna get you're gonna you're gonna fill it. You're gonna get it back. We're a nation that cries out for rights, civil rights. And I'm not saying that these are right or wrong, but I'm saying we have this idea, I deserve my rights. Civil rights, women's rights, workers' rights, LGBTQ and whatever else add to it, rights. Prisoner rights. And basically what Jesus is saying here. We need to give up our rights. What? We need to give up our rights. Look over in uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, this attitude of heart and mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, that is, not he looked like God, but he is God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He didn't have to steal it or claim it or somehow connive to be equal with God. He is God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Did he give up any rights? Did he give up any rights? Absolutely he did. And so, when he says here, resist not evil, that word resist means to set oneself up in opposition to another person. And so, what is the Lord saying here? Well, he's not saying that we should become just a passive victim to evil. That a guy breaks in my door and he's got a gun and he's, he's intent to kill me. And I say, well, I'm not supposed to resist evil. He doesn't say that we shouldn't defend ourselves and our family. And he certainly doesn't mean that we should refrain from calling the police. Paul, when he was beaten unjustly, 
said, I'm a Roman citizen. And he appealed to Caesar. But what it is saying is this. I should not make that person my personal enemy. Let the law deal with it. But I shouldn't make him my personal enemy. And so we're going to go down through here, and he's going to give some illustrations, and he's going to deal with our personal rights and, and what we think belong to us. And he's first going to say, I need to give up my personal respect. Mm. You don't have to like me, but you better respect me. Personal respect. Go back there to Matthew chapter 5. And look at verse 39. But I say unto you, <laughs> that ye resist not evil, but whoso shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, I've talked to you about this before, but for, for my right cheek to be smitten, it can't be a, a slug to the jaw. But the, because if I slug you to the jaw, I'm going to hit you on the left cheek. The right cheek would be a backhand. One of the most disrespectful things. Remember when they, they, uh, they came up and Jesus, when he was having a trial, they, they smote him on the cheek. It's like being spit in the face. And Paul, they smote Paul on the cheek also. And what it was, it was a challenge to, it was a challenge. I mean, uh, <laughs> if somebody spits in my face, we're going to Fifth City right away. And the Lord says, nope, don't do that. Turn your other cheek and let him hit that. That's my personal respect. And let's remember that Jesus allowed them to smack him. He's saying, give up your notion that you personally are somebody that people need to respect. And I know we, we have, this, society has to operate with bosses and authority. But when we, when we leave that and people disrespect us, he said, I want you to Act like I would act. 
I want you to not take it personal. Give up your respect. Resist not evil. And then secondly, it has to do with personal justice. Personal justice. Look in verse 40. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Go with me over to Exodus chapter 22. An interesting verse here. Exodus chapter 22 and verse 26. Exodus 22, 26. If thou at all take thy neighbor's raiment to pledge, thou shalt deliver it unto him by, the, by that the sun goeth down. For that is his covering only. It is his raiment for his skin. Wherein shall he sleep, and it shall come to pass when he crieth unto me that I will hear, for I am gracious. You've, uh, you've made a deposit on something. You say, I promise to pay you, and I'm going to leave here my cloak. I'm going to leave this to you, and uh, I'll pay you. And he says, uh, if you have, have that, give it back to him before the sun goes down. It's a very very necessary part of, of life. It uh, keeps him warm. It's for his skin. And he also says it's for sleeping. And so justice, the justice would determine that you can't hold my cloak, my coat, any longer than sundown. You got to give it back to me. It's necessary. And the Lord is saying, get rid of that idea that that I have to be, have justice. And not only do you give him your coat, but you give him your shirt. And uh, you Show yourself to be weird. But how often do we demand justice? I want justice. Anybody ever say, I want justice? Do you really? When it comes to Sin and the Savior? Do you really want justice? <laughs> Hallelujah that God didn't give me justice. He says, I want you to be like me. That we are not allowed to go around acting and reacting like the world. Be prepared to give up your rights 
even before it's asked for. Yes, people may take advantage of us. But when we give more, when we give our shirt as well as our coat, we're communicating something to that person that says, my worldview is different than yours because this world's not my home. You see, all this idea of respect and justice, it's a worldview that's quite different from the kingdom of God. And then personal liberty. When he says there in verse 41, whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Personal liberty. Yes, I'm obligated to go the mile. That the Romans could press me into service to go the mile. And it took away, even without carrying a burden, to go a mile. And here I am in my carpenter shop, and I'm busy building something, and it's got a due date on it. And the Roman soldier comes in and says, hey, pack my stuff. It just, it just uh, flips over my day. It messes me up. And I can go that mile with steam coming out of my ears. Because my personal liberty has been violated. I should have liberty to stay in my shop and build this piece of furniture that, that is on order and should be delivered today. And the Lord says, no, listen. Give up your liberty. And go the second mile. What's different about the first mile and the second mile? Well, the first mile is law. The first mile is law. It's legislated. The second mile is love. And it's quite different. Wouldn't it have been, wouldn't it have been interesting to be a little bird in a tree to watch it when they got to that pile of rocks or that stake in the ground and the soldier is ready for him to dump it off. And he, said, he says, if it's okay with you, I'd like to pack this another mile for you. He'd say, um, what's going on here? Maybe there's a bunch of them down here that's going to jump on me. Maybe, maybe they, they have this thing going where they're gonna, I'm going to be ambushed. What's going on here? And the first mile is gone with resentment. 
But the second mile is the bird that's been caged set loose to fly. You see what I'm saying? You do it with your own free will. And your heart is light. And you are you are picturing Christ. Personal liberty. And then the fourth, we need to give up our personal property. Give, verse 42, give to him that asketh of thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. The first understanding we need to come in our lives is this, is that everything you have and you've worked hard for belongs to the Lord. And he says, give to him that asketh of thee. But I want you to see here that it doesn't say give to him exactly what he asked. It just says give to him. When the guy's standing on the corner over there by Lowe's and you've seen him before and he's begging for money and you know something about it to give to someone who you know is going to turn around and go straight to buy drugs or booze is not helping them. And so he doesn't say give them exactly what they're asking for, but give to them. Say, I'm not going to give you money today, but McDonald's right close to you. Can I run over there and buy you a sandwich? That we we uh, give to them. Remember Peter at the temple, the beggar was there, and Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but says as I have, I give unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Turn not away from him that wants to borrow. Again, not necessarily exactly what he wants, but we can help them. And the issue is to understand that we're stewards over what God has given to us. Well, you know, I know that my neighbor needs to go to the doctor and I know his car is broken down, but uh, I'm surely not going to loan him my car or take him down there myself 
After all, I got a life to live. Well, what would Jesus do? And so he's challenging us at the very core of our person. We often think that we're somebody and we need to be respected. But let's not forget that the snot goobers from the mouth of wicked men ran down the face of the one who could have wiped them out with the word. Justice. Was Jesus innocent or guilty? Could he have demanded justice? And sometimes we're going to be wronged. We're going to be wronged. And our nature is, you wrong me, I'm going to wrong you. I'll get my pound of justice out of you. And he says, nope, you give up your coat and you give up your shirt. Liberty. There's laws in this land and I don't have to carry your load any further than this one mile. And that opens no doors. It uh, doesn't exemplify Christ. And so he says, uh, go a second mile. And then my property. Boy, I like my property. But he says, listen, give. Not necessarily exactly what they want. Well, you know it's going to be misused. But give. And if someone borrows, let them borrow. I think particularly among Christians, if you borrow something from someone, I borrowed a rototiller one, one time, and uh, being a dummy, I thought, okay, he's just plowed his garden, I'll plow my garden, and uh, I come to find out it didn't even have a drop of oil in it. And you know what happened? It seized up and you couldn't pull the crank, I tell you. It was seized up. And so what do I do? Well, you know, thanks for, the, thanks for letting me borrow this, you know. I got most of the job done. No, I, had, I didn't buy him a new motor. But he's saying, let him borrow. And so the crisis, we've come to a crisis. We talked about the meaning of the word, we talked about other scriptures, and the crisis is summed up in whosoever will compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. It's a radical new way of thinking. True life-changing thinking. And it's this novel idea Because I'm a child of God, I should live differently. 
Isn't that novel? Why wouldn't the world see Christianity as someone trying to rape you or use you or take advantage of you? Because those that go by the name of Christian are no different than I am. And the Lord says, this is not the standard. Give up your personal rights. Because uh, our Savior did. You see, uh, Jesus had another marvel, novel idea when he said, uh, if you lose your life, you'll find it. <laughs> Can you imagine all the hassles that would go out the window if we gave this up? My wife's not here, so I can say that. Can you imagine how quickly my psoriasis would clear up if I lost all my stress? <laughs> it's not all food. It's stress, man. It's stress. Well, if, if, if he took my coat, I'll just give him my, my shirt. No stress. You see, uh, Jesus actually, actually uh, wants us to live different. But he doesn't want us to live any different than he did. And he can enable us to do what goes against our nature. Well, what about these bad dudes? What's going to be the end of them? Look over in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself. Don't get even, don't get back. But rather, give place unto wrath, stress. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thy enemy hunger, feed him, and if he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome evil, but overcome evil with good. And I think we need to think about verse 20. You know, my Eastern Oregon background, okay, I'm going to be nice as I can to him. And so the Lord will just put more fire on him, more fire on him, more fire on him. But should we actually, should we actually rejoice in evil that comes upon anybody? What is, he, what is he saying here? Well, I think what he's saying is um, the more you're nice to them, the more convicted they become. And the more fire comes upon their head of conviction. Because we shouldn't, even my worst enemy, I, I don't say I can always do this, 
but even my worst enemy, I should not desire that he would die and go to hell. And so that's not what it's about. It's about the fire burning of conviction in my heart and in my mind. And that more evil he is to me, the more kind I respond. And the Lord's using that to hopefully bring him to repentance. In the vengeance part, God take care of that. Let him take care of that. And in the end, when I humble myself, when I give up all these personal rights that I have, I come to understand that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And what do we need? What do I need? I need God's grace. And so uh, the crisis moment will we become more like the Lord? Will we in this society who demands its rights stand and get our pound of flesh? Will we realize that this is not our home, that God sees all, that God actually wants us to be different, not weird, but like Him. He was different. And so uh, the crisis moment where, you know, to make a decision, crisis medically, they're going to either get better or get worse. And so what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do when I'm rubbed the wrong way tomorrow? Well, in the end, when we finally get to the end of this chapter, he says, be you perfect as I am perfect. <laughs> I'm still wrestling with that. But I know this, that I, can't, I cannot do any of this unless the Lord enables me. And he will. What burdens me about this is that as I read this and I study this, I'm a long way from being Christ-like. And that needs to change. Okay? You're dismissed.